Welcome back. Good to see you, Richard. Hey, it's October. It is October. October, November, December. Uh, busy holiday season coming up. It, it's it's on its way. It's right around the corner. I can't believe it, but here we are. Yeah. Well, this week, we are going to sort of continue our conversation from last week. Um, you know, last week, we talked about that the book, um, Who's Raising the Kids? Right. Um, it's that Susan Lynn's book about, uh, you know, big big media, um, I guess we could call it social media platforms and things and the, right. the, the interactions they have with our kids. And um, yeah, we're going to continue that conversation today. Yeah, what, what Lynn, Lynn's axe, um, she has a particular axe to grind, and, and I don't mean that in any pejorative way, but hers is that, hey, look, this is about advertising. Um, you know, when, when we were children, uh, we watched TV and we remember all the serial ads and the, all the toy ads and everything. Um, and that became, a, that became a congressional issue. I mean, the Congress had finally had to address that whole issue um, about advertising to children. And she said, now um, social media has become uh, the, the great advertiser. And that um, what all this is about, what, what, what all that social media is about is keeping you on screen so that you are exposed to the advertisements. Okay, right. that's just as it was with TV. But she makes two other good points. One is that the difference now is that kids are spending so much time on devices that it's robbing them of play and other positive activities. And also, the other difference with social media is that social media produces very powerful um, emotions, but there's nobody that the parents aren't there. These are when kids are on social media, they're typically on alone. Or, or with their friends, and the parents aren't there to moderate the emotions that social media is creating. And so right. it's the absence, the absence of play and the absence of parents that she also mentions as concerns. Today's podcast, though, is a little bit more, it has a little bit more of an alarming tone, not alarmist, but an alarming tone, because this author suggests that social media is not just sinister and, and dishonest. Um, Lynn, Lynn compares social media to the, to the characters from fairy tales, the big bad wolf. He said, you know, they promise you good things, but they really have sinister means, sinister ends um, in mind for your children. Yeah. And, but this guy said, no, it's not just sinister, it's actually dangerous. And, 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 and what he talks about in, his, in this article is uh, what he calls a digital social contagion of mental illness, that it's not a biological contagion, it's a digital social contagion. And that's what this article um, talks about. And he right. said that it's the digital social contagion that's responsible for the rapid increase in addiction, depression, suicide, and gender dysphoria, uh, especially among um, young, uh, especially among teenagers of all right. ages. Yeah, the, the title of the article is How Social Media is Literally Making Teens Mentally Ill. And it's right. by Dr. Nicholas Cardaris. Cardaris, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's from Austin, um, Texas. Um, he's a psychologist and he works. This is his area of expertise, is these right. sorts, of, uh, sorts of issues, how the effect of social media. He's written a couple of books on the topic. One of them is called Glow Kids. Have you ever seen a book called Glow Kids? I haven't read that yeah, one. That, I've seen it advertised, and he's, he's the author of that. But he has another one about this connection between social media and the increased rates of mental illness in, in teenagers. You know, and we've, we've talked about some of these issues 
many times before because the the, the term social media is is somewhat uh, of a misnomer because you know research for years has demonstrated that social media um, is actually the opposite. The kids that people that tend to use social media more uh, right. tend to be those who um, report feeling more lonely mm-hmm. and um, right. less connected to other people. And so even though we tend to think of social media as something that connects us, uh, the research has demonstrated that it's actually the opposite, that people who use it more uh, feel less connected to others. Are, are more isolated. Yeah, they're more, yeah. They're more sedentary, they're more isolated, right? Yeah, right. there's very little social, well, their the meaning is different, right? Right, right. And, and so, you know, when now when we're kind of taking it to the next step and talking about the relationship between social media and mental health issues, mental illness, you know, it, it's it's a, a, a natural connection because as, as we've talked about before, you know, feelings of loneliness and, and disconnection, uh, disconnectedness from other people, right. uh, it, it is one of the main contributors to mental health problems like depression and anxiety and things yeah. like that. And, you know, his, his um, article um, is real, it's consistent with our clinical experience, right. you know, um, and we keep saying, you know, do they, do all these kids really have a mental illness? Is, is, it, is it possible that all these kids could have? And the other question that we are asked by many parents, by many teachers is why does it seem like so many kids want to be gay or trans or bisexual? Why, why does there seem to be this epidemic of, of gender dysphoria? And he said, it's the same, it's the same problem, but those are questions that we're asked. And the answer to those questions is probably not, you know, are there, are there, are there really more kids who are gay today than there were a generation ago? And is there more mental illness now than there was 20 years ago? The answer is probably not. We have increased statistics, but I'm not sure we have increased cases. Okay. Well, yeah. And I, I think that, um, you know, it, it's so difficult because you have to balance. And, and, you know, Richard, we talked about this so many times before. Sure. You have to balance between, um, yeah, the statistics are higher, but are the rates really higher? Well, right. um, you know, today people are maybe feel much more comfortable coming out or talking about mental health right. issues That's or talking right. about gender related issues or sexuality related issues, they're much more likely to talk about those things now than they may have been 20, 30 years ago. Absolutely. So, the, right. So it's, it's difficult to know if, if there's more cases now than there were before, if there were more cases before and we just didn't know about it um, mm-hmm. or, or how much of it again is related to social media and just the exposure to these other types of um, these other lifestyles that could be that, that kids and teenagers may be emulating in different ways for, you know, to feel a sense of connectedness or to feel a sense of community. Because, um, right. you know, if, if I, if I identify this way uh, as ADHD, as depressed, mm-hmm. as trans, um, there's a, now a community that I can connect to um, when I, maybe I didn't feel like I could connect to a community before. Yeah. There were such such severe social sanctions against some of these things. I mean, nobody wanted to have a mental illness 20 years ago. Nobody wanted to be considered gay 20. I mean, we talk about coming out of the closet and, and you had to stay hidden and you, you wouldn't dare admit that. Um, I mean, we were all sort of homophobic a generation ago um, and, and, and rightfully so because um, bad things could happen to you physically and socially 
if, if you admitted that you were gay. And today, that sanction no longer exists. Um, people aren't afraid to say that they are. At least not to the same extent. That's right. And so, and, and in certain places, I mean, certain, right. certain parts of the country, it's easier than others. So we, we, we don't pretend to have the answer to that question. Is it, Are they really increasing or, or do we just, right. does it just seem as though they're increasing? But we do know this. What we do know is that with the onset of puberty, um, there are significant brain changes that occur in our species, boys and girls, when they hit puberty, and they have a, a range of powerful new emotions and feelings. Now, it's, I think it's safe to assume that the feelings that I experienced as a teenager are probably very similar to the feelings and emotions that my children experienced or that this generation experiences. I think the feelings are the same. Mm -hmm. um, but when we were growing up, we shared our feelings with a few close friends. You know, I, had, I had two or three buddies that I could share things with them, but they didn't know anything more than I did about it. You know, we were all sort of in the dark. I mean, we, we shared it with each other, but none of us knew very much. Right, and, and, and grossly speaking, um, you guys were probably very similar. You probably, we were. You there probably were. came from very similar families, very similar <laughs> backgrounds. Played on the same teams. Right, and, and today it's very different because, because of social media, Kids have connections with people well outside of their, right. their immediate mm -hmm. social circle. Um, they have exposure to people uh, all around the world. And because of that, they're exposed to far different ideas. Um, again, <clears throat> many times uh, you mentioned a moment ago that in some areas of the country, it, it's okay. It, it's more accepted to um, identify it in one community, whereas in other parts of the country, you have to be a little bit more careful because it's not as, as um, accepted. Mm -hmm. Well, if you, you know, if you have this exposure to people from all over the world and, and you're exposed to these ideas from all over the world, it doesn't mean that those ideas are going to be accepted right. in, in, in your immediate social community. Right. And, um, and it, it can lead to a lot of problems. Right. Exactly. And, and so now what you have, when I was growing up, we had this little group of friends. I lived in a neighborhood, lower middle class neighborhood. Every man, all the fathers left every day and all the mothers stayed home. Nobody in our neighborhood worked. No woman in our neighborhood worked. The men left, the women stayed and the kids, the kids and the mothers stayed. That was our world. That's all. That's what we knew. Um, today, kids have the entire world at their, literally at their fingertips. Right. right? So, yeah. The difference now is not that kids have different emotions. I think the emotions are the same. What right. they're feeling because of pubertal changes, those are the same. Today, they compare notes with many others, not just with right. close friends. They also do. I was just saying the same thing. They also do their own research. They, right. they, you know, you go on Google and you can find anything. I mean, right. you can find information about anything that you're interested in. And so, you know, somebody introduces an idea to you, uh, introduces mm -hmm. a word to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a search term. <laughs> and that becomes a search term. And, and then all of a sudden right. you have something new that you can, that you are interacting with. Right. Um, and we see this from a, a psychopathological perspective because people will come in and, um, you know, teenagers come in and they have, they've self-diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do you even how do you even know what the word dissociate means? Right. right. And oftentimes they don't. 
right. if they, you know, they, they can quote what they've read as a far as a um, definition. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as you start to ask them about the, 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 the pathological presentation of it, it's right. not anywhere close. Right. Um, yeah, because you go to, they all go to Dr. Google and they match what they're feeling with yeah. psychiatric diagnostic criteria. Now, Bernie, when I first started working, if I wanted to do that, I had to go to the medical school library. Right. I had to go to the library, look it up in an index, and then go find something about it. That took some effort. Okay, today, you can do that with a couple of keystrokes, and you can right. find the diagnostic criteria for any mental health disorder. We, that's only been possible since 1995. Okay, right. so we, we now, but we now have that capacity. So they collaborate with peers. And remember, we're talking about teenagers. And what are teenagers looking for? People with similar interests, their group, their tribe, the home, where are my homies? You know, where do I find? Well, now you find your homies online. Now you find your tribe online, not just in the neighborhood. My tribe was my neighborhood and my school. Right. Um, today, your tribe can be anywhere in the world that you can affiliate with. And what kids are doing now is they're taking these diagnoses and they're taking their symptoms and they're connecting with other people and they're finding what he calls mental health groups, mm-hmm. which are kids with similar interests, uh, concerns, emotions, um, and they're finding each other on social media and they're forming these mental health groups, which is feeding this frenzy that's validating um, what they're doing, okay? But, and what they're learning is they're learning how to talk to parents and professionals. They're learning from each other how to talk to us so right. that they can say, well, I, I don't enjoy things that I used to enjoy. Mm-hmm. That's right out of DS. That's right out of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. So right. they give us those symptoms so that they can get the treatments that they're looking for. So they're educating each other about how to talk to parents and professionals. Right. And, and I don't think it's for the same purpose as you know, as we often think about, you know, as far as, you know, they're, they're, they're drug seeking or they're mm-hmm. looking for a particular no. treatment for some, no. you know, some other, I think that they're truly experiencing some, some. Absolutely. Something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're just trying to, to make sense of it. And they, you know, they don't like the way that it feels. And so they want help for it. And so if I feel this way and, you know, these symptoms are associated with depression, then I must have depression. And so I need to you know, explore that. Um, I, I think that the other part of the problem with how, how social media tends to um, create mental illness is that, you know, when everybody in your group is talking about things the same way, it 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 ra- rarely does it stay at the same level. If right. that makes sense, it, right. it's like you know, think about you, you know, if you're upset about something going on in politics. Well, as soon as you start talking to somebody else who's equally frustrated with what's happening in politics, before too long, before the conversation goes too far, now you're both a little bit more frustrated and you're both a little bit more frustrated and you just keep skating more and more. The same thing happens when everything, everybody that you're talking to has the same, you know, is complaining about the same issues or problems as you are. Right. The symptoms get worse and the symptoms get worse and worse and worse. Right. over time and and now all of a sudden you have a teenager or a kid who thinks that they are you would think that they you know if you looked at their their testing like if they did the like mm-hmm. an MMPIA or something like that some type of testing you would think that they were are, are curled up in bed you know barely functioning and not eating 
and right. in the dark all day long, every day, right. but yet they're going to school and they're doing all these things. Mm-hmm. So their perception of their symptoms continue to become more and more severe. Right. They are more and more severe or not. Right. Yeah. And they're, and, and so it's sort of a digital feeding frenzy, you know, yeah. you start whipping the, and, and you're right, it metastasizes and it becomes a frenzy of activity and, and it, and it does feed itself because you have this constant um, stimulation, uh, right. constant reinforcement. And um, Kaderis gives an example of one of his patients, 22 year old girl who, um, who presents with um, depression, self-harm, um, and a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. Now she was 22, I think, when he saw her and um, she had this diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, which is more and more common diagnosis that we see today um, among, among youngsters, a lot of these personality disorders. Well, her symptoms are, she had black and white thinking, self-harming behaviors, emotional volatility, volatility impulsive behavior, a shifting self-image and feelings of emptiness. That's a teenager. Okay, we, as teenagers, we all experienced those feelings. Those are normal adolescent feelings that come and go as we mature through adolescence. Mm -hmm. So they put her into a treatment center and within two weeks, her symptoms began to disappear. Well, it wasn't the treatment, it wasn't medication, it wasn't the treatment because it doesn't, it takes more than two weeks. What you, what she did, what they did is when you go into these treatment centers, you don't have social media, you don't have an iPad, a cell phone, you you get disconnected from the world. Right. And two weeks of that, um, and she was, she was almost symptom-free. Prior to admission, she was spending 12 to 15 hours a day on social media, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Uh, that was her life. And she was a victim of this feeding frenzy that we just talked about. But in the, and in the age of, and so what Kaderis is saying is that in this age of digital social contagion, uh, we're transmitting this disease, these diseases to others. Right. Um, the problem that he sees is the same problem that Lynn sees that we talked about last week is that social media is creating these big emotions, but there's nobody there to help the kids monitor those big emotions. They're created, but they're not monitored. Right. And it makes sense that this is why we're seeing an increase in in a lot of these symptoms and characteristics in in youth and and why COVID made it even worse because, (laughs) you know, with COVID, everybody was at home. And so all we had was social media, you know, the only way they could interact with anybody else was social media. So you, there was a significant increase in use of social media during COVID. So, right. you know, so between living their sedentary lives and, and they're becoming more and more isolated, you know, they're using these devices and they're staying, you know, plugged in um, and, and electrically connected to electronically right. connected to other people um, in, in the way that we were describing. And, you know, so it's not, it's no wonder that this general sense of malaise and this general sense of loneliness and, you know, all of these mental health issues are just becoming more and more uh, exacerbated by all of these conditions. Right. And so if you're, if you're still unconvinced, um, we of course have the congressional testimony 
of uh, Frances Haugen. She's the woman from Instagram who said, yeah, we know, we know that this stuff is compelling. We know that we know that there are increases in eating disorders and self-harming behaviors. And, and we know that being exposed to this constant contact content and comparing ourselves to others is creating this social comparison effect, which yeah. is damaging to teenagers, especially vulnerable teenagers, not all, but so what is it the developers want? And, and I think this is where we have two issues here. What do the developers want and what can parents do? Right. And that's where we want to, we want to sort of wrap this up be saying, okay, what do developers want? Right. What developers want of these TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, right? What they want is to keep you on screen, right? Because if 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 Facebook can promise that I will have twenty million viewers and five million of them are going to be watching this, then that determines how much I can charge you to advertise your product. It's a little bit like the Super Bowl. Right. <laughs> Super Bowl ads cost millions of dollars per minute. Okay. Right. But the 5 a.m. fishing show, you know, that, that is on in some areas, you don't pay millions of dollars for to advertise. And that's why you get that's why there are different advertisers at 5 a.m. than there right. are at the Super Bowl. Right. And, and and I think that what we now know too is that social yeah. media and, and things now are, mm-hmm. are very different. Right. Um, or and maybe even in some ways very much more worse, much worse, not more worse, not more worse, much maybe worse because um, it's worse, it's worse because they use algorithms, right? And those algorithms right. can tailor certain ads to people who have certain interests. Mm-hmm. So not only are they able to you know sell advertising to say you know you can be your your ads will be seen mm-hmm. by you know, this number, this many people, it'll also, they can also say by this many people who are, who have interests that are mm-hmm. likely purchasers or consumers of, of your product. And, and that, that significantly changes the game. Right. Um, yeah. and, and it's what she was talking about with Instagram because they, they tailor what you see on Instagram to, to fit what it is that you're interested in. Yeah, so if you're looking up eating disorders, you're going to get a flood of stuff about eating disorders. Right. They know that about you. You know, in the old TV days with serial advertisements, for example, they were kind of thrown out there and you hope that, you know, the kids are watching. In it. But today, you can tell what kind of cereal are you most likely to eat. Right. And you can right. tailor your advertising that precisely because of their algorithms. Yeah. So what the, what the companies want, what the social, plat- social media platforms want is they are seeking your attention. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the priceless human commodity that they are at. They want, your, they want you to attend and they want you to stay attending to what they're presenting, okay? And if your attention is there, it can't be somewhere else. When, in this age of, well, why do so many kids have ADHD or why do we have such short attention span? Because if you're spending eight to 10 hours attending to one thing, you're by, you can't be attending to other things. Okay. So if this is where your attention is going, that's where your attention will be. And so the algorithms tell you what you're looking for and you get this feedback loop of more and more things. 
And this is why he believes that there's been this spike in what were rare disorders. Bernie, when you were at USF in psychiatry, Tourette's was a very tiny portion right. of the population, okay? Um, and multiple personality disorders, almost never seen. I mean, you could spend an entire career in psychiatry right. and never see a person with multiple personality disorders. Now I have a couple kids a month coming in saying, well, I think I have multiple personality disorders. That's not possible. Right. right? And the same with borderline. Right. And also with uh, gender, <laughs> there's a term for it, late onset gender dysphoria. Um, probably not likely. I mean, it, it, right. it just doesn't make sense biologically that we would have spike in a spike in these rare disorders uh, until recently. Right. Well, and, and like we said, you know, before th these disorders, conditions, symptoms tend to disappear mm -hmm. when you remove some of that access to social media and, um, you know, they, they, they lose access to that, that feedback cycle with their, the community that they've identified with on um, through, right. through social media. Uh, as soon as you unplug from that for a period of time, you see a lot of those symptoms start to dissipate and they start to, to um, disappear. And, and I think that that's, again, you know, when you're talking about authentic mental illness, that doesn't happen. You know, it doesn't go away just just because you unplugged um right. it, it's like anything else if you're if you're sick because you're eating something that's not good for you it's mm -hmm. not that you have some gastrointestinal disorder it's because right. you're eating something that's not good for you that's that you're not agreeing with you stop eating it and the symptoms go away right or, or if you're, you're, health. right if you're in a job that you hate i right. mean you cannot go to the office every day and the problem is not that you're that you're depressed. The problem is you have the wrong you're in the wrong career. Right. Um, right. So, and same with social media. You know. Right. Um, but you can imagine if you're a teenager, you have these feelings, and you're getting this constant flood over and over and over. The brain is just going to be right overstimulated. Right. And, and 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 that's what's happening to many of these teenagers. All teenagers because they go through adolescence, because they have these feelings, they're all susceptible. Right. And if they get hooked into social media, it can be very difficult to pull them out. Right. Um, so, because what they're looking for is, is this group, this tribe, they're, 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 right. who else out there is like me? Well, and I think that that's why when we think about what can parents do, it, we're, we're kind of beyond the point of just taking social media away. That, Thank that you for not, saying that. It's um, not gonna go it's anywhere. Too late. Pandora's right. box is open and it, it's just, it's too late. Uh, you're, you're not going to do anything. This is like, you know, we just had a hurricane here and everybody who lived along the coast said move inland because there's nothing you can do about this wall of water that's going to come ashore. And it's the same with social media. There's yeah. nothing we can do about it. Now we have to learn how to manage it. Okay. Right. You're not going to cut it off. You can, you can keep your children I guess it's, I mean, I guess it's possible not to have a cell phone or an iPad or a computer. But kids are always going to have access. They'll have access when they go to visit their friends. Okay. Um, in the early days of TV, not everybody had a TV, but we would all go to somebody's house that did have a TV, you know, right. so eventually you were going to watch it. So it's too late 
to, to deprive kids of this. And if you deprive your kids of these things, they are going to be left out. Right. Most parents don't want their kids to be left out. Okay. So it's too late to, 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 to keep yourself isolated and apart from it, but you have to learn how to, but we need to learn how to manage it. Right. And and you can do that. you, You know, you do that by interacting with your kids and talking to them and helping to helping them to develop sort of this, this immune system for, what they're experiencing on social media. Um, you know, how do you deal with some of these, um, some of these issues, these problems that social media can, can present with um, and, and balancing it, my goodness, balancing social media with, you know, actual social interactions. Uh, right. you, you have to, you have to have both. Um, right. There's just no, there's just no way around it now. That's um, right. They're going to be, they, they're going to have to be plugged into social media to some extent, because that's right. just the world that we live in now, mm-hmm. but you, you have to create the opportunities or make sure that they have the opportunities to interact in person and, and directly. That's right. That's right. You can't do anything to, to stem the, this, this tsunami of, of um, social media. It's too late for that. It's going to be there. TikTok is the most recent, but there's something else going to come after TikTok. I mean, we know that now because we've seen this progression and there's always something new and better that, that is going to get our, our interest and attention. A couple of years from now, TikTok will be what adults use and kids will have some new platform that they're using. So you, we can't prevent them from using these platforms or being exposed to these platforms. But what we can do is we can immunize our children from the social contagion. He, he calls it a digital social contagion. So just as we immunize ourselves from biological contagion, we can immunize ourselves from social contagion. And how do you do that? Well, number one, kids have to develop grit, what um, uh, Duckworth, uh, Susan Duckworth calls, um, calls uh, grit. And grit is you learn from your experiences, especially from your failures. You know, you get toughened up by, by confronting your challenges, not being protected, not, being, not having snowplow or lawnmower parents, but allowing children to experience disappointment and failure so they develop grit and internal strength, okay? The second thing you have to do is you ha- kids have to find their place. Um, I always like it. When a kid comes in and I said, well, what do you do besides school? And, and he's, well, I play soccer and I'm in the band and I'm doing, they're doing, they're engaged in other activities and they're developing confidence. One of the things I love about sports is you learn how to win and lose. You mm-hmm. learn that doing your best might not end up with a, with a, with a win. Right. Um, you learn disappointment. You'd like to play more, but you're not. You learn all those things on the athletic fields, okay? I'd like for all children to have that experience, but many don't. Right. Um, they go to school and they come home and that's right. their life. You know? and, and in that sense too, you know, it's important that we, we maintain a physical presence, that parents maintain a physical presence in the kids' lives, but that the mm-hmm. kids maintain a physical presence in their life, you know, that, that physically present by engaging in some of these other activities, by, by going to, you know, after school events, by interacting with peers and going, you know, it sounds crazy, going to the mall, going to the movie theater, going to the bowling alley, you know, going out and engaging and interacting with other people 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you you have to be active and, and proactive in making these things happen. That's right. If kids are physically engaged, they can't also be on their phone. You know, we say you can only do one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the more, you know, you take a kid is playing soccer, at least for those nine, how many, how many, how long are kids game uh, matches? Oh, it depends on their age. Yeah. 60 minutes or. Yeah, so at least for that 60 minutes, they're not on their cell phones. Okay. Right. They can't be. So the more physically engaged kids are, the less time they're spending on their devices and being sedentary. Right. The other, another idea that was presented in, in the article is talking is about helping, encouraging them to read classics, reading, mm-hmm. read, um, read, <laughs> hold on to your thoughts, folks, read books. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, when I read this one, I thought, wait a minute, let me make sure I understand this correctly. Read the classic. And I said, I don't even want to talk about that. I, I said, I'm going to eliminate this. I'm not even, then I got to thinking about it. I said, you know, the, when he talks about the classics, he's talking about, you know, the Roman and Greek, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Socrates and, yeah. and especially the Roman, like Marcus Aurelius. There's some good stuff in there that's not cluttered up with right. current events and tweets and politics. OK, it's just the human condition. And so I'm not going to ask my kids to read the classics, but I can read the classics. Right. So what, what did the ancient thinkers, because they talked about the human condition. And we can pass that on to our children. There's wisdom there that we can pass on to our children. So we kept reading the classics in for that reason. Yeah. And, and also, you know, encouraging sort of the related to being active and, and getting out and, and being involved is, is helping others. You know, um, there, there's some great um, there's some great programs where kids go, are involved in helping others. You know, you mentioned the hurricane, you know, helping others repair and be involved in the community that way. But also, um, you know, for for parents to be involved with other people, talking to other parents and talking to other people about what they're doing. Right. But it, it all of that takes it out of being so egocentric, so um, focused on the self and right. recognizing that there are other people and others are going through some of the same stuff and, and everything. Yeah, what's social? So remember, social media is about narcissism. It's about self. It's about me. It's very me centered. Um, I want to find out about me. I want to entertain myself. I want to have fun. I want to, it's all about me, 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 me. And the antidote for that is have kids spend some time taking care of others. Right. Okay. You, you, this is what helps them manage the ego centered social media with real life. And one way to do that is helping others. Yeah. And the last one is be creative and be bored. Right. And that a little bit last week. Yeah. Right. We talked about that last week is that, you know, I'm bored. Good. That's a good thing. You know, when your kids tell you I'm bored, that is a good thing because boredom is the handmaiden of creativity. When you're bored, you'll figure out how to do things and, and you'll figure out how to entertain yourself. Um, That's not when your child says I'm bored, that's not the parent's cue to jump in and become the entertainment. It is your cue to say, it's okay, you'll find something to do. Let them solve that problem themselves. Absolutely, absolutely so. All right, I think that that's it for today. The um, the link to the show is in the show notes for uh, so you can get to this article and check it out for yourself. Uh, we definitely encourage the read. Um, all right, but again, that's it for today. Yep. We'll be back next week. We will. Yeah. We will. Happy no, October. Um, this week, so. We do some time changes this month, don't we? Yep. 
all back, gain yeah. an hour. So yeah. go ahead and wear yourself out in October. You get an extra hour of sleep somewhere in the month. Okay. Summertime. All right. Well, that's it. Okay. Until next time. All right. Stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.